This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitalyinternational.com. Welcome to our special SOS Everybody Needs a Bit of Shinsa installment. This is a shout out to all the wine geeks out there. We need some feedback on the Professor's new book, the English version of Jumbo Shrimp Guide to the Origins, Evolution, and Future of the Grapevine. The Italian Wine Podcast is part of the Mama Jumbo Shrimp brand, and Mama Jumbo Shrimp is all about breaking down difficult concepts into small, bite-sized pieces. The issue here is that the new book is, well, a bit difficult to chew at this point. So we want to invite wine lovers out there to give us their input and advice to make the final product more reader friendly. So have at it, wine lovers. Don't be shy. Send your comments to info at italianwinepodcast.com. Now on to the show. Hello, everyone. My name's TV Kim, and this is another episode, a reading episode, if you will, of Everybody Needs a Bit of Shinsa. And this is Richard Hoff. Did I say that correctly? Yes, indeed. Yeah, I think if, yeah, you're sooner get, or later, I'll get it. You're getting better. Yes. So Richard, as you know, um, has been translating the book from Professor Shinsa. And today he will delight us or make us <laughs> fall asleep with another reading, another excerpt from the book. Go yeah. ahead, Richard. Yeah. Okay, so th- th- this is um, chapter 10 of the book, which is called In Search of the Perfect Vine, A Dream Come True. Mm. It's quite a long <laughs> chapter, so do, do nudge me if you feel you've heard enough. Okay. In the decades between the 19th and 20th centuries, agricultural research expanded significantly, both numerically and institutionally, in various European countries. This included the establishment of innovative laboratories and agricultural colleges inspired by Mendelism, biometrics, and mutationism. The new genetic understanding became important for hybridization, both from a scientific and productivity point of view. Different empirical laws of agriculture are used in physiology and genetics to orient orient oneself in the context of basic scientific investigation. Using knowledge or explanatory metaphors, often borrowed from fieldwork, such as crossing, variety and selection. Those who work in the field have different expectations depending on their background, interests and point of view. The technicians of the experimental stations and agricultural schools more directly involved in its practical application approached hybridization not merely as a scientific problem but above all as a practical mechanism for the creation of new plant varieties with improved productivity. More detached observers regard hybridization primarily as a scientific problem and only as an afterthought did they consider the economic perspective. The unexpected arrival of the so-called American plagues and the devastating impact on the European agricultural economy gave fresh impetus to plant genetic research, bridging the gap between empirical geneticists and scholars of academic genetics creating an alliance that would lead to the solution of the phylloxera problem in a relatively short period of time with the creation of hundreds of hybrids. 
The agrarian crisis of this period also led to a radical shift in public intervention in agriculture. This was particularly apparent in the education sector with the creation of the first schools of viticulture and denology in the 1870s. The transition from autonomous viticulture to a culture of exchange and commercialization was also realized, which made the birth of modern viticulture possible. The collaboration between the academic world and agricultural organizations, public administration and large landowners in order to promote the dissemination of agricultural knowledge that flowed from the experimentation centers to farmers resulted in the creation of provincial agricultural institutes, which would play a fundamental role, especially in northern Italy, in the anti-phylloxera movement and in the transfer of agricultural innovations more generally, including the use of mineral fertilizers and education. Genetic innovation has always been received with great caution by European viticulture. Just remember the passionate debates conducted in France and Italy on grafting and hybrids between the 18th and 19th century. When the arrival of phylloxera in Europe, numerous researchers, especially French and German, the so-called Americanists, tried to combine resistance to aphid with other so-called American diseases. The first vines brought from America were some natural hybrids which produced grapes with a distinctly foxy taste not appreciated by the European consumer. In Mediterranean countries with strong cultural roots, these vines were considered a sort of unfair competition because they gave colder and less suitable areas of Europe a competitive advantage that was difficult to overcome. Toward the end of the 1930s, with Germany on the wave of its eugenic theories, which advocated the creation of the perfect man, an area of research in the agricultural field developed through genetic improvement techniques. These were the first practical applications of Darwin and Mendel's theories in the viticultural field. The arrival of American diseases was a formidable accelerator of research and the Munkenberg Institute near Berlin, led by Bauer and Hausfeld, set itself the ambitious goal of creating the ideal vine. That phoenix vine that from the very first appearance of phylloxera in Europe represented the dream and the torment of hybridizers of all countries. Unlike France, which followed the classical path of the search for resistance through interspecific crossing, Germany, for ideological reasons, prohibited the use of vines with American blood in crossing with European vines, a ban falsely disguised as a health campaign. In fact, Germany had developed a selection project through successive cycles of self-fertilization of Vitis vinifera, with the aim of favoring the emergence of individuals in which the characteristics of resistance were the result of genetic segregation processes. By sowing about 10 million Riesling seeds, eight plants that tolerated mildew were created. The communication was given to the scientific world during the International Congress of Grape Genetics in Lisbon in 1938. The destruction wrought by the war prevented these results from being disseminated and evaluated. Less well known is that the use of the genetic improvement programs of Bauer and Husfield of vines from the German colonies in Azerbaijan and Georgia 
which since the early 19th century had settled in Transcaucasia, giving rise to a flourishing viticulture and which had enriched the botanical collections of Frederick William IV Sanswachi in Potsdam since 1840. Among the vines bought by the young German Georgian ampelographer, there were some plants that showed a good tolerance to downy mildew and powdery mildew and which were then used by the researchers to introduce resistance in German varieties. The results of these researches were presented for the first time at the International Viticulture Congress in Paris in 1937 and raised lively disputes on the part of French researchers who refuted to the Germans the possibility of obtaining disease-resistant vines through crossing only European vines and subsequent self-fertilization. The first results of this new cycle of crossings that sees Italy in advantage over other countries are represented by the 10 vines obtained by the University of Udine in collaboration with Vivai VCR and some Frulian entrepreneurs registered in the National Register of Varieties Authorised for Cultivation. It can be considered the goal of the ideal vine achieved. For reasons we must unfortunately note that the goal of the perfect vine has not yet been reached. Okay, well, that sounds good. That's chapter 10, is yes, that correct? That, that was slightly uh, abridged version. Um, I did, I did um, skip some passages which, which were a bit heavy on the history <laughs> and, the, and the detail. So. You mean heavier? Heavier, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how many chapters are there? There are 13 chapters in total. Right. Um, and I think, as I mentioned in a, a previous podcast, it, it's quite a short book, about, about 70 pages, but it's... It's intense and, and dense, so for 70 pages it's... So we'll put a lot of illustration. Yeah, I think that's going to be one, one of the ways in which we're going to make some of these topics more accessible. Digestible, Digestible yeah. Digestible, yeah. yeah. Illustrations, we've got, as you know, a, a great team of graphic artists here, so I'm sure they can come up with something that is going to help. I, I, I'm also toying with the idea of maybe doing both in Italian and in English for the first time. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. Um, I mean, obviously, the original text is in Italian, so, so there's no reason why, why, we, why we couldn't do that. Yeah, give a, give a, a back-to-back translation, if you like, with mm-hmm. English going one way and Italian going the other yeah we'll think about that and and for the audience for the listeners out there if you think that's a good idea please let us know if you think it's a crappy idea let us know that's why we are here this is an outreach series episode trying to figure out how to improve the next book from professor atilio shinsa to make it more accessible to make it more comprehensible and approachable. There you go. That is all for now. It's a wrap uh, for Everybody Needs a Bit of Shensa, the reading edition episode, if you will, with Richard Hoff. Until next time. So don't forget to follow us on, of course, social media. Thank you so much for your support. So we have a small ask. Please subscribe. And if you'd like to, of course, make a donation, even better. And Mama Jumbo Shrimp is uh, the YouTube channel, which we collate all the videos from the On the Road editions, is now alive, has been alive for about, I would say, about eight months, I think. We're going into our eight months. So have a look at that. It's called Mama Jumbo Shrimp. You can also find us on TikTok and Pinterest. Okay, there you go. And, of course, wherever you get your pods for Italian Wine Podcast. That's it for now. Signing off here, Stevie Kim with Richard Hoff. Ciao ragazzi. Ciao, thank you Stevie.
Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.